Christ is risen. risen Let us pray. O God of Easter, continue to stir among us long after the Easter lilies are gone, long after the Easter candy's been eaten. Show us your presence. Amen. I meet with a small group of disciple ministers. There's about five or six of us. We meet about once a month. And generally we pick out a book to read. And then over the course of the next couple months, we read what, you know, discuss what we've read in that previous month. A few months ago, we read a book called Inspired by Rachel Held Evans. Now, I'd read Rachel Held Evans before, mostly her tweets and her blogs, but I'd always found her very interesting, but this was the first book of hers that I'd read. I even quoted from that book in several of my sermons. I don't know what I said or when I said it, but I know I quoted from it because I brought it in here to church and read from it. Here's what I enjoy most about Rachel Held Evans. She grew up in a very conservative town in Dayton, Tennessee, She went to a very conservative church growing up, a very conservative Christian college. But while she was in college, she began to question some of the things that were just assumed about faith, such as the role of women in it, in the church. Eventually, she left the church that she grew up in and left the church totally for a time, but she still loved the church And later came back to the church, but this time with the focus on embracing those who the church of her youth would push away. What I like about her is that I find a lot of commonality in her growing up and mine, except she writes about it a whole lot better than I could. And she didn't have that effect just on me. By her early 30s, Rachel Held Evans had become one of the most well-read and well-respected writers of the progressive Christian circles. I say all of that to let you know that many people appreciate her writings. Many people would say that they were able to return to the church or go to the church for the first time because of the things she had written. But there's more to this story. I avidly read her blogs and her Twitter feed, and shortly before Easter, she had gone to a conference to speak somewhere out west, and she put on her Twitter feed that she's coming. when she came home, she wasn't feeling good, she, she thought she had a, a UTI, a uterary tract infection, and so had some headaches, and so she was going to go get checked out, and she was bummed because she was going to miss that Sunday night's um, episode of Game of Thrones, and she didn't want anybody to tell her what had happened at that. I thought that was funny. A couple days later, her husband, Dan, had taken over her uh, Twitter account and was posting updates that they actually had to put Rachel in a medically induced coma because she was having brain seizures. I didn't hear much for a few days and figured, you know, they figured it out because, you know, she was young. Saturday morning, May 4th, I'd come up here, and then I'd gone home, and I was reading my 
don't know if it was the Twitter feed or the Facebook feed, whatever it is, the feed. And I read on the internet that Rachel Held Evans, age 37, had passed away that morning. And she left behind a husband and two small children. One of them is not even one years old. That story in itself is deeply tragic. And less tragic, but still sad for the rest of us, she leaves behind many followers, all of whom miss her and miss her writings. For me, I miss her so much that I went and bought another book called Searching for Sunday, and I'm hoping that that's going to be a basis of sermons that I'm going to preach in the fall. I've started on it, and it's already wrapped me up. This past week, I read an article in one of the national magazine or newspapers. The title of it was, Who Will Be Our Rachel Now? That article began with a reflection on her legacy that I shared a little bit of just now. Shared thoughts from several of her friends and fellow writers, all of whom are wondering, what's going to happen now that Rachel and her words are gone? These friends are asking among themselves, and asking with the rest of us, who is going to be our Rachel now? Who will fill the void that this beloved author and thinker has left behind? And then there was a comment from another well-known writer, Diane Butler Bass, and I've quoted her too. seems like I quote a lot of people. First, she reminds us that no one will replace this wife and mother of two young children. And then when I quote what Diane Butler Bass said, she said, well, her admirers should resist the urge to look for another leader to take her place. For people who are saying what's next, well, what's next is the exact same thing it always is. It's gird your loins and go to work, and that's what's next. You are next. Losing one of the lights of progressive Christianity won't dim the movement, according to Bass. I am so confident that Rachel's voice will continue through the unique voices of the many people she inspired. When we come to our text today, we are in the season of Easter, but... Our text today is before even the death of Jesus. It's, it's along the time of Jesus' last supper. He's washed the disciples' feet and now he's talking to them. Soon he'd be arrested. In our text today, he's telling his disciples that he's going to be leaving soon. And not only does he say that he's leaving, he tells them that they should be glad about it. Here's what Jesus said. You heard me say to you, I'm going and I'm coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father. Now, Jesus may have told his disciples that they should rejoice, but I'm guessing that none of them were rejoicing to hear that Jesus was leaving. Jesus was their leader, the Messiah, and Messiah's lead. They don't leave. And certainly hearing that Jesus would be gone, their first thought must have been, What's going to happen next after Jesus is gone? It's a question for all of us. What's next? This reading today comes from 
toward the end of chapter 14 of John's Gospel, the first part of it is much more familiar perhaps to you. I know it is to me because I read it at probably every funeral service that I participate in. That first part of chapter 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places, or you can say mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I prepare a place for you? And if I prepare a place for you, surely I will come back and take you to be where I am. It's very appropriate reading for funerals. Reminding us that God has prepared a place for us. Reminding us of the assurance of God's presence with the person whose funeral we attend. Presence with God after this life is over. Now that part is more familiar to us, but our reading today has some similarities. In our reading today, it does also say, do not let your hearts be troubled. And it also talks about dwelling places or mansions. It talks about, hey, well, here's what Jesus said. We will come to them and we will make our home with them. Same phrase as dwelling places or mansions. But there's a difference from that first part of the chapter to this one. In the first part of the chapter, as I said, it's a reassurance that God's presence go with us after this life is over. But in this reading today, it's about God's presence, Jesus' presence with us right now. We will come to them and make our home with them, Jesus says. That's important to hear. For them, for us, because we live life right now without the flesh and blood presence of Jesus. But even as Jesus prepares to leave, he promises them a gift. The gift of his presence. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sent by God, sent by God to teach them everything that Jesus has said and done. The word that John uses for Holy Spirit is the word in our text says advocate. That word in Greek is the word paraclete. Paraclete originally was used for someone who would stand in defense of someone who was in the court of law. Paraclete is, is pretty much like a defense counsel. The Holy Spirit is our counsel. Of course, the church has always been leery of the Holy Spirit. We get the God part. We get the Jesus part. The Holy Spirit part is kind of weird. Because some of us, when we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of churches that speak in tongues or, or do some other very um, uh, outwardly noticeable things to be inspired, to show that they are inspired and living in the Spirit. And then there's other churches that say, well, the Holy Spirit... Um, we see that just in God's Word. There's no outward manifestation of it anymore. Here's my suggestion to see how the Holy Spirit might play out in our lives. The Holy Spirit is our companion. Of course, I got this idea of companion from something I read. And the writer was talking about the resurrection as companionship. That the resurrection makes possible what had seemed to be only a setting of loss and separation. For instance, at funerals. 
What do we lift up about the resurrection at funerals? We are reminded of the great reunion that we will have someday with our loved one who has gone on to be with the Lord. A reunion. We will be companions with our loved ones again. I'd suggest that another aspect of resurrection, of companionship, is that the Holy Spirit is companion right now in life. The Holy Spirit is comforter. The Holy Spirit is advocate. The Holy Spirit is teacher, is reminder of all that Jesus has said and done. The Holy Spirit reminds us that God goes with us in all of life. And sometimes the gift of the Holy Spirit pushes and prods us toward being the people that God has made us to be. Notice I said sometimes the Holy Spirit will push and prod us. The Holy Spirit does that because we need it. Came across something else. It's a quote from a United Methodist bishop, a Bishop Thomas. I didn't know who he was, but I liked his quote. The occasion was he was speaking to... Um, Leaders who were being ordained into service. And really this isn't just for people being ordained. It's for anyone who confesses Christ as Lord. Here's what he said. Be aware in your ministry the Holy Spirit will lead you somewhere that you do not wish to go. Because if you wanted to go there, the Holy Spirit wouldn't be necessary. Sometimes the Holy Spirit pushes us in ways that we may not want to go, but that's just where God is calling us to be. I started this morning talking about the sad story, and it really is, of Rachel Held Evans, whose life was cut way too short. I referenced that article and what Diane Butler Bass said about what's next. When she said, what's next? You're next. But then she also said this, I'm so confident that Rachel's voice will continue through the unique voices of those that Rachel inspired. For us as Christians, the way, the voice of Jesus continues through the gift of God's Spirit, poured out in ways that only God knows. This gift goes with us as a companion, to comfort us and to discomfort us. And just as Rachel held Evan's voice will continue in the voice of others, the Holy Spirit will work in us and through us so that the way of Jesus will be proclaimed and practiced in our own lives. The Holy Spirit, our companion, how is God's Spirit companioning with you to comfort you and to discomfort you? Thanks be to God for the gift of God's Spirit. Amen.